Hello and welcome to another edition of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, because that's who I am. And I am very excited to bring you guys the second part of my interview with Scott Adams. What an amazing guy. I mean, he's had so many incredible experiences and it all just really developed from him doing what he does naturally, what he loves to do. You know, uh, I think those are the best stories to me. You know, I, I like when people work hard, when they learn their craft, when they are successful and when, you know, all kinds of things just come out of the woodwork and, and are great surprises. And, you know, some of them pan out, some of them don't. The The history that he had with Marvel Comics is really quite amazing. And um, yeah, it's just, just a great conversation with him. Before I bring you the rest of that interview, though, I, I do have to apologize to some people. I promised I would tell this story last week and I didn't uh, just kind of forgot about it. But uh, I will I will do it now. There was a time when I was a, a teenager and, uh, you know, late teens uh, into my my 20th year. And I was working at 7-Eleven in Denver, Colorado, and I was working graveyard shift one summer when I had moved up to Denver to go to audio engineering school, which lasted a total of two weeks because it turned out to be far more expensive than uh, than they laid out when uh, when I did the tour of the school and signed up and, and all that stuff. Uh, I actually only spent about two weeks there and and didn't learn a damn thing. However, I did start uh, working with uh, my friend Brian Coe. And uh, he probably taught me more about audio engineering than I've learned collectively from any other source throughout my life. And uh, I'll always be grateful to Brian. We still keep in touch. He's doing well. He's still in Colorado. Of course, I live in Las Vegas, but, uh, you know, we we still keep in touch, which is is great. Um, So anyway, I'm working graveyards at 7-Eleven, and this is in the summertime. And uh, now my store that I worked at, I don't know if it's still there or not, but it was on West Colfax, which was, you know, starting to get into one of the more questionable areas of Denver. It was down the street away from the restaurant Casa Bonita, which you guys may have have uh, seen on a South Park episode in one of the uh, the earlier seasons when uh, when their voices started to change and they got into the fourth grade or whatever it was. Um but I was working graveyards, and at the time, it was uh, it was legal to work by yourself on a graveyard shift in a convenience store. And we didn't have cameras. There was, you know, we had the the safe and everything, but there was no uh, there was no camera. We had gas pumps at the store, uh, which was uh, an interesting challenge of its own. So this was before pre programming, also. So like people could just, you know. Uh, I, I, they would, I don't remember how it worked. It's weird to me now thinking about it because we live in the world of, you can't pump a a drop of gas without paying ahead of time, but, uh, somehow it worked back then. And so we would get a lot of, uh, gas robberies and stuff like that at the store. I, I spent far more time writing incident reports than I ever did doing any work. It was not the greatest place, you know? Um, but we had uh, we had this guy come in one night. He was a young kid and he wanted a pack of cigarettes. And, you know, I'd seen him before. I'd seen his ID. So I, I knew it was OK. He was over uh, 18 or, or I think it was 18 at the time he had to be to buy cigarettes. I don't know what it is now. And um, but he he got a, a pack of cigarettes because we had the overhead bins. So we would have to reach up to get most of the brands. We didn't have them on the counter because people would just steal them. So he uh, requests a pack of cigarettes. I think it was like a pack of Newports or something. And uh, and as I, I reach up to grab the uh, cigarettes, as soon as I get my hand on him, he reaches out and just stabs me. He just slices across my arm with uh, with a knife. Now, he didn't get me too bad. I still have, you know, a slight scar from it. But 
Um, nothing life threatening, no arteries or anything like that. But, you know, of course, the cigarettes come tumbling down out of the thing and he grabs a couple packs and runs out the door. Um, you know, not worth my life. If, if he, you know, I don't care. It's a pack of cigarettes. The store is insured, whatever. I'm not there to be put in jeopardy, although, you know, I often was. Uh, so I wasn't happy with that. Now, fortunately, the police patrolled uh, the areas very frequently. In fact, I think it was the very first season of Cops when they were in Denver. They drove by that store uh, a couple of times, which is pretty normal. I mean, we had we had them out there all the time. Uh, but then a couple of weeks later, I had another guy come in and, um, you know, this is probably like two thirty three in the morning and, uh, he gets a couple of frozen burritos and, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are out around this time. So it's not, you know, too uncommon to have people coming in and getting snacks or whatever. Um, but he, he goes and he gets his burritos. He puts them in the microwave, puts them on a plate, brings them up to the counter. I ring him up. I said, that'll be five forty four, And he goes, no, it won't. And he pulls his hand out that was hidden by uh, beneath the, the counter and he sprays me in the face with uh, some mace. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, never had been sprayed with any of that. There was no training or anything they gave us with how to handle that. So uh, I was wearing contacts at the time, which uh, which really sucked. It would have been much better if I was wearing glasses because the, uh, you know, the solution got on the contact. So my eyes are just on fire and um, I I knew very well where the phone was. And so I was able to, uh, you know, feel my way over to the phone. Um, I had just seen him grab the burritos and start running out the door before I, you know, really started dripping into my eyes and I couldn't see anymore. So I, I am able to dial 911. They stay on the phone with me. They're like, we're two minutes away. Uh, go, go put the phone down, go over to the sink and, uh, and just put cold water on your face, try and get some of that off of you as, as quickly as you can. So I go do that, but honestly, like the cold water just reactivated it. So now it's start, you know, as it was starting to settle, it started just burning again. Um, you know, the police were there very quickly, which I was very grateful for. Um, they, you know, they really kept an eye on, on the area, I have to say, but, uh, that, that story was not without its violence. I, uh, I stayed working there for a while and I had decided to move back to Colorado Springs. I thought, you know, there's, there's really no reason for me to stay in Denver. If I'm not going to school here, I would end up moving back, uh, years later with my buddy, Scott Davies, but yeah, it was, um, it was nuts, <laughs> you know, it was absolutely nuts. And, uh, I, I really feel now, especially for people that are working in convenience stores, because it's it's got to be weird watching people walk in with masks and and stuff like that. I think I I would have been nervous. Like I was nervous with people just walking in anyway. Um not a great place. And I was so young. I mean, I was like 19 years old. I just turned 19. So it was definitely um something that uh, I I wish that I would have done with a little more experience under my belt, a little more uh knowledge I think of how to handle situations. But in any case, uh, no twist ending. I'm still here. I'm okay. Uh, nothing else ever happened. I mean, we had ripoffs every night, like people would just grab a bag of chips and run out the door or whatever. And that, that became pretty commonplace, but yeah, a weird, uh, a, a weird experience and a weird life. But anyway, I know this has nothing to do with my guest, Scott Adams today, unless he worked at a convenience store, which I, maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I did promise I would tell the stories and there it is. So uh, anyway, thank you guys for for listening to that. Without any further ado, let's get back to uh, to the man who uh, really, as far as I'm concerned, was a, a pioneer of of gaming and how we how we look at things now. I'm very excited to say that while I was beta testing um, Adventureland XL, which I'm still working on, I'm just kind of picking away at it as I have time. Uh, I, I did get past a major puzzle 
that was uh, really holding me back. So now the the world has opened up a little bit to me in this uh, final section that I'm in. So I'm very excited to uh, to find some time to work through this game. Uh, just great stuff. And then I'm going to start on uh, Escape the Gloomer here pretty quick, uh, which is also available through Steam. Steam is actually really cool. Uh, I, I understand why people like that format. It's very simple. It's uh, very well organized. You can just buy your games directly through it. and They're all just there. Um, you just pick which one you want to play. And uh, if you just want an icon for the individual game, you can get that on your desktop or you can just load Steam and it will play everything. Every time you load it, it updates uh, your system which is great because that means that you're getting, you know, whatever the fixes are, whatever bugs uh, have been knocked out or whatever, you're getting the freshest version every single time you load it. It's actually quite a brilliant format and it runs really quick. Now I'm running on a Windows 8.1 system and even with that, it, it's uh, it's lightning fast. So uh, you guys that are running on like, uh, you know, your, your crazy uh, souped up video game consoles, I can't even imagine. It's probably just a blink of the eye while it updates, but really cool format. Check these games out. All the links are in the show notes. I also got the, uh, all the, the game reviews that were, that have been done so far are in the show notes as well. Uh, I've got links to each one of those. Uh, we talk about that on the show and uh, very, very cool stuff. Just, uh, I love that. Uh, even though these things in a lot of ways seem very basic, seem very old school, there's so much benefit to playing these games. Just using our brains to uh, to logically solve things because we don't have to anymore. We're so accustomed to, you know what? I don't know. Just Google it. And we aren't using our brains the way that we could and or the way that we should be, you know, developing those skills because they're, they're going to come in handy at times. And uh, I think it's very important. So, uh, and, and not just aside from the entertainment value, I mean, these games are challenging. They're fun. They bring you to these amazing uh, worlds and landscapes that you get to imagine. And it's uh, it's like reading a book that you can change the course of, or you can, you know, decide certain things, how they're going to happen. Uh, just really, really awesome stuff. So I, I can't tell you enough how much they've impacted my life in a positive way. So of course, uh, you know, I want you guys to go and check them out too. So anyway, there's my spiel. Let's talk to Scott and see what else we uncovered in this, uh, in this interview. You know, well, and, and in the beginning, you were just copying cassettes yourself and, and putting, you know, giving them to people to sell. You, you really were hands-on. Yep, in a spare bedroom, literally. Wow. I still remember the very first large order we got. Um, this was, I was living in Florida, and uh, we got an order, and I honestly don't remember if it was 25 or 50 tapes. I think it was 25 from a far-off distant land that I'd only heard about and never visited, <clears throat> and that was Illinois. <laughs> I grew up in Florida, lived in Florida, never went to Illinois, uh, from Chicago. And there was a TRS-80 radio shack there. The fellow's name was Manny Garcia, and he ordered 25 tapes because he had heard about the game and wanted to sell at retail. Well, I spent that weekend making 25 tapes, we tried to sell him the tapes at the retail price times 25, and he had literally had to explain to my wife and me what wholesaling is and how how a company sells something wholesale so that the retailer makes some money. I had no clue, really. So I shipped off this order of 25 tapes. We get a call back saying, where's the packaging? Mm. <laughs> there was no packaging. There was no labels. There was nothing. I said, packaging? You need packaging? You can't just sell the blank-looking tapes on your counter? He says, no. 
I had to come up with packaging. That was an interesting journey. The thing is, is that, you know, as a, as a creative, our job is to be creative. But if we want to be a successful creative, we have to learn all those things about the business that will make it work. And yeah. word of mouth was not an easy thing back then. You didn't have uh, the Internet. You didn't have such simple mass marketing like we do today. And everything right. was a challenge then. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, initially, I was advertising it in the back of, I think it was Softside Magazine, which was a small little hobbyist magazine the size of a mini pad of paper. Um, it, it wasn't very big. It wasn't eight and a half by 11 by any means. It was much smaller. Um, and it had some good articles in it. And then there was a classified section in the back. And that's where I started selling the game. And uh, I think that's how Manny uh, heard about it. He saw that ad, and I think he bought one of the games, tried it, and then contacted us. Well, see, that's the thing is so much of what you did was organic, and it was just a natural growth. I love that. Yes. Well, before we get into uh, the games that you're making now, uh, I want to talk just a, a little bit about a couple of things in the previous games that I'm curious about. The decisions to, uh, you know, when it was important for a character to need to eat and sleep versus a game where it didn't address that. Did you find that to be something that uh, was was going to be a huge challenge in the game, like, say, uh, The Count versus mm. uh, Voodoo I Castle? I you were bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with, with The Count, once again, I was trying to do things I had never done before. Right. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun if time made a difference in this game? Mm -hmm. It sort of made a difference in uh, Mission Impossible or Secret Mission, because you only had a limited number of moves. But that was kind of an unfair game, because there's no way you could ever have played it from start to finish without dying, mm -hmm. without too many, many reloads. Um, the count, also similar. You had to do reloads and so forth. But the concept of day and night took on a whole new meaning there. Oh, it's for sure. <laughs> I think the, the thing that is fun about those games is it's not just beating the game, but then it's going back and finding the most efficient way to do it. So there yeah. becomes like a second game within that same game where you're doing the same thing. You're just trying to be better at it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Certainly an option. Now, when you got to Strange Odyssey, of course, that takes place in space. So the big challenge there is just, you know, always making sure that you can breathe. They're always a handy thing I found. <laughs> In life and in games, yeah. yeah. And also, in a lot of the games, I tried to use esoteric knowledge that maybe people weren't aware of. For example, in Adventureland, um, when you're caught in the quicksand bog, the way to get out is literally the right way to do it in real life. Oh. But most people oh. aren't aware of that. Um, you know, there, there are other places. There's a... Uh, a snail in Return to Pirate's Island that really behaves like that snail supposed to behave, mm -hmm. etc. There is a, a lot of places I was trying to help people grow their knowledge of what was going on around them. Some, some of the fans wrote back and wrote that I had to get a dictionary or an encyclopedia to look up some of this stuff, figure out what am I doing? Ghost town. When you're digging up stuff, what are you going to do with all these materials you end up with? Right. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorites because it really made you look at an object and say, okay, you're, you're telling me that this is this, but I know that's not what it really is 
for the game, this is the most basic description you can give me. And part of my job is to figure out what this actually is. And and what you're going to do with it. Exactly. Um, How did the Buckaroo Bonsai game happen? Oh, I've forgotten about that. Yes. Uh, Again, this is the company came to us. And I honestly don't remember if it's Universal or Paramount now. I, I don't remember. Um, they decided they wanted to come out with a cult classic movie. That's what Buckaroo Banzai was going to be. And they were going to start fan clubs around the country. They were going to start this big franchise. And one of the things they needed to do is also have a computer game tie-in. And so that's why they came to us. Would we do the tie-in for them? Um, most of Buckaroo Banzai was written by others on the staff. I, I just lent a hand and did editing on it. Uh, I was working Marvel, I think, at the time. I didn't have as much time in that. Uh, but the game that came out, I thought, was very good, and I was very pleased with it. They came up with a good idea and a good way to implement it. The neat thing was, uh, when we got this agreement going, and one of the things we said, well, we would like to see the movie, and this was long before it was out in the theaters, and they said, okay, uh, we'll send you a pre-release tape of it, and... Uh, you've got to sign all these documents and everything, make sure it doesn't get released. So they, we did, and they sent us the tape, and it came in, and it was like it was a, a four-inch video tape. We just, I was expecting VHS or Betamax. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I had to go back and tell them, uh, we can't actually use this. Could you send a VHS tape instead? What what machine did that work on? Um, it is It is high-quality I don't remember the name of it. It was a high-quality studio tape. I think it was oh. four inches wide. No, or maybe two inches. It was like twice the width of a, a VHS tape. But not a public consumption thing. No, no, not at all, because it required a $10,000 machine to run on. Gotcha. Well, and the game was great. I really enjoyed playing that. I felt that it was very much on par with the film, and uh, mm-hmm. that was a fun one for sure. Um, but you didn't write all of the games that came out. I know that uh, Alexis Adams wrote one, I think. Was that Voodoo Castle? Yep, Voodoo Castle uh, was uh, primarily her effort, and I just went in and did cleanup and, and editing with it. And same thing with Mystery Fun House. Uh, there I did more of it, and then she finally decided she wasn't interested in writing any more games. Uh, she would come up with ideas, but she couldn't quite tie them together into a, a full stream. It's challenging. I've tried to write a game myself, and, and I found that my puzzles were ridiculous. And <laughs> it wasn't interesting at all. Uh, so I, I commend you for, for doing the work that you've done, because it's, it really takes a lot to do it. Literally, literally, and I said this earlier, it is a gift from God. God gives each one of us different gifts, and if we use those gifts to God's glory, then it's going to work out. Um, I can't take claim for what I turned out because all I was doing was what God allowed me to do. So I'm, I'm grateful though that it's touched so many lives. But the thing is, is that I think you do have to take some credit because you could have ignored it. You could have said, you know what, I, I don't want to get into that. This is too much work. Um, at any point you could have stopped, but you stuck with it. And um, I find the same thing in, in my creative veins that um, there's things that I don't want to do. There's things that I find too challenging or too, um, you know, kind of take the joy out of it. But you have to, if you want to be successful in anything, you have to do all those elements. I think if nothing else, you could take credit for that. 
Well, I, I did say yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, one more of the older games I wanted to ask you about, because I found this world uh, just fascinating, was the Savage Island uh, 1 and 2. Uh, oh, what yeah. are your memories of that? Um, by this time, I was trying to make games that were challenging to advanced adventure players. Because early games, um, I felt, gave them enough of a build-up on how to play an adventure and how to think. Um, and I had a bigger, grandiose design of what I wanted to do, but it was going to be way too big for a single game. So that's where I came up with the concept. Well, why don't I split it into two games and join them together? Uh, you'd end the first game, you'd get a code, you'd type it in the second game, and then continue. Fortunately for the players, what I did was there were two different codes in the game that you could end up with. And if you ended up with the wrong code, you weren't going to finish the second game. Because oh. you didn't come in with the right... Uh, uh, at, you didn't come in with what was needed to continue playing. Oh, I'm so glad I did. <laughs> <laughs> they were hard enough. Yes. <laughs> but the world was great. And, and I have to say the payoff at the end of the second one was probably one of the best payoffs I've ever had on anything I've ever played. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Um, what, that one, as you know, I didn't even have room to put in the final congratulations about what was happening. So literally that had to be given to the player as a hint sheet style. Right. Had to decode it because there just wasn't room. Well, but that's the thing is you push the technology to the edge. Yes. Now, so how did it feel for you when you saw uh, a company like Infocom coming out with their games to, did you feel that you had a part in that? I don't think I did. I, I don't know. I know I played Zork when it came out on the mainframes before it became a um, commercial product, and I greatly enjoyed it. Uh, it's where I even got my idea. You know, a full-sentence parser is probably a good idea. I like the verbosity of it. You had much more room to, to discuss things and give descriptions and so forth. But I was, once again, targeting... Uh, backward compatible to 16K models, this wasn't going to be happening anytime soon. Right. And I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword, too, because being limited to two words really helped you narrow down your, uh, your possibilities of, of how to describe your solution. Mm -hmm. When it got to be full sentences, you could spend 10 extra hours per puzzle just trying to find that right combination. Yeah, this is true. And also writing the, the, the text Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Put them a lot. The the reason that I think that you had something to do with that is because I think without your games coming out, I don't know. I I think eventually something like that would have happened, but I think by the time that someone would have gotten to it, it probably would have been too late because then video games themselves on the home systems would have been too big. But I don't know that Infocom really would have been what it was had you not paved that road. I. Perhaps you're right. I've never really talked with anyone from there uh, about the early days, so I don't know what their inspiration was. I did get to talk to Sierra Online, uh, Ken Williams, at least not talk, but over the Internet. And this was just, just recently in 2020. And I was not aware that he and Roberta uh, were very grateful for my original games because it what gave her the creative impetus to, to do what she did and for them to start Sierra. 
So that one, that one I do know about. Infocom is, uh, I, honestly, I don't know. It's open to speculation. Yeah. I, I just, I see so many similarities in what they did. It's like they took what you did and they said, okay, let's find a way to do it differently, but... Let's do it her way. R Roberta yeah. was the creative side. Uh, Ken was the uh, technical end, and Roberta just used her gifts in a very good way that a lot of people enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they came out with a lot of great games. So let's talk about what you're doing now. We touched a little bit on uh, Adventure XL. So Adventure Land XL, it, uh, it's, it's basically some twists on Adventure Land. So it's a new version of it, but then it goes beyond that. How did you decide that you were going to revamp this game and, uh, and then you know, put it out there? Well, it, once again, it, it's a team effort. I, I work with uh, a team here. And we were throwing around ideas of what to do. Our, we had done uh, Escape the Gloomer. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that. That's, that is, to my mind, one of the best games I've ever written. And it, it does some things that are totally, totally unique. Um, that one's available now on Steam, on iOS, and on Android. Um, on Adventureland, it was like, okay, let's step back and do something Simple and fun, because that one, Keep the Gloomer, t took a year plus and a team of 10, 15 people. Uh, a lot of time, effort went into that. So we wanted to think a little bit smaller, but still uh, fun to play. <clears throat> it turns out the XL has a meaning. Uh, when you first hear, hear XL, people tend to think extra large. And indeed, that's what we did with Adventureland. We said, why don't we... Have the original game there, plus, and just expand it out. Because the original game was always the two-word interpreter, uh, brief descriptions, and uh, just treasure hunting. With everything that was learned between when that was written and now, which is, by the way, about 40 years, the XL is Roman numeral X10L50, subtract 1050, you get 40. So it's also Adventureland 40th Anniversary Edition. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's what the XL stands for. 40 years. Can you believe it? Amazing. Now, for those of you who are listening that are familiar and have played Adventureland, I don't want you to think that you're just going to go play this game and walk right through the parts that you know because you have changed some things. Yeah, just to make it interesting. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, the, immediately I was like, oh boy. I might have bitten off more than I can chew here. Uh, but it's fun. I, I love that you did that. And we tried to bring it up more to 21st century standards. Uh, you don't have to order a hint sheet anymore. Anytime you're in the game, you can say, give me a hint. And it will then lightly try to help you along. And and it is a very gentle, but but helpful. <laughs> um, I I I'm so torn back and forth though because I don't know for me personally, and I came to this with uh, Return to Pirates Isle too. I'm like I, I I like having the graphics, but I'm so used to letting my brain do that part and not being uh, you know depending on that for clues or or looking too into it for clues. I don't know which I like better as a player. One of the things we're, we're doing is also, we did with Escape the Glimmer, we haven't done with Adventureland yet. So I did do with Return to Pirate Island 2 and The Inheritance. Those are two other 
games I did since the year 2000. Um, the, uh, what we're doing is trying to make sure the games are blind compatible. Mm. And so anything that's in a picture should not be needed to play the game. Like that. So 100% description only. Yes. And the pictures are, are like when you were a kid and you read Treasure Island, you know, every 10th page there might be a, a picture in there. Just something to, to to brighten things up and get your your thought processes going. Well, I want to tell you about something that you may not know. Um, well, you wouldn't know this about me, but uh, when I was, I think it was just before I turned 14, uh, I was in a car accident and I got a closed head injury from the accident because my head went through the window. Oh, no. And uh, I was already, you know, I had already played uh, a few of your games by that point. But when, uh, you know, through the cognitive therapy and retraining and all that that I went through, I was telling them about your games. And they actually wrote me a, uh, a prescription where my insurance would cover a, a portion of the cost to buy some additional games because using that logistical side of my brain was exactly the retraining that I needed. Wow, how wonderful. See, now this is what I'm talking about, how God can use these things for blessings for people. Absolutely. Well, it, it's, it's amazing to see how many different benefits there are from all angles that you would never think of. This is true. And I, I keep getting surprised. Mm -hmm. I highly encourage uh, everyone, you know, especially while you're locked down, take some time. I've got some, the website down in the notes. Um, get the games on Steam and, uh, and check them out because uh, they're fantastic. And also uh, the older games, which you have made available for free, there's the interpreter that you can download and then you just load each game into the interpreter. Uh, and they're the games exactly as I play them. And they're, they're all available there. Um, I have not played Return to Pirates Island 2, but I'm looking forward to getting to that one as well as Escape the Groomer. What is next for you? Um, right now, Adventureland XL is not finished. Uh, as it sits currently on Steam, is <clears throat> uh, still in early access, which means everybody who's playing it now, the uh, the game will uh, phone home like E.T. It sends trace files back of how people are playing the game, where they're getting stuck, what's happening. And then the finale. The finale is not in the game. If you get all the way through the main game, which is the base game, suddenly a whole new world is going to open up to you. And that's the second half. And then after that is the finale. So the first part and the second part are done. The finale is done, but it's still being uh, incorporated. It's all written up, and it's, it's still being put in. So everybody who plays Adventureland XL now is really helping to uh, grow this game because well, we're learning things from how people play. I'm sure that you have a, a few notes from me in there from some of the things <laughs> I've tried. Uh, what's, what's fun about that is when I, when I finished the first section, because I really thought uh, initially that it was just a, an update on Adventureland, and so I, I go to store the last treasure. And I'm like, oh, you know, that was really nice. Oh, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> was it a good surprise or a bad surprise? Uh, at first, it was a little bit of a drop because I'm like, I don't know if I can handle this the way that I used to. Uh, but then I no. got excited about it because it's, it's new worlds to explore. It's new puzzles to solve and new, uh, new ways to work my brain. Okay. And I tried to use, in the second part, I tried to use... Uh, uh, common myths in society. 
that were, gave us joy as children. Mm. So see what you recognize in that. Now, the real magic of this, as you explained to me uh, in an email not too long ago, was that you can't mess up. Yes. There, um, you should never start the game over, ever. It's, a, it's okay. amazing that you've developed it that way because in, in most of the games, in, in just in, in adventures in general, uh, save game often because anyone... Yeah, save early, could, save often. Yeah, you could just walk into a room not holding the right object and die. Um, yeah. But I, I like that you've worked it in a way that the game is manageable no matter what you do because it just it relieves that frustration of having to learn by death. No, you cannot ever do anything wrong. There will be consequences, but mm -hmm. it's not game over consequences. Right, right. It's uh, it's. I'm loving digging into this world, and I'm I'm really uh, just fascinated by the ability to find new things to do with this. I know people still write text adventures. Yes. But uh, but there's something that I've always found charming about the games that have been under Adventure International, and I say it that way because you didn't write them all, but all of them had that consistent charm to them. There was something telling about the story, something that made me want to finish it beyond the sense of accomplishment because the stories themselves drew me in. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Nothing got published to the AI that I didn't first approve. So it, it had to tickle my fancy first. Sure. Were you able to enjoy the, the other games as a player as well as a developer? I had to because I also had to help edit them. Mm. <laughs> so I had, I had to uh, go through and see that they were Right quality and didn't have problems. That makes sense. I'm glad you did, obviously, because they're all quality. Glad. I'm glad that's yeah. so true. I, you asked what else I was doing now. Mm -hmm. I still have something else I'm working oh. on. Oh. And that is an action, a 2D action game. It's a um, a very short game. You can play the whole game in 10 minutes. Um, doesn't require much skill. Doesn't require much learning. We're doing this uh as a uh, contract work with another company that, that was wanting to get into the market. And I'm just, I've been working on this one also for last year. And it's just a great deal of fun. That one's out there now. It's not been heavily advertised. It's, it's sort of a soft release release at the moment as we're scaling it up. But the name of the game is Final Pilot. F-I-N-A-L, Final Pilot, P-I-L-O-T. So if you go to finalpilot.com, it's playable now. It's either in a web browser or there's also a Windows app. Uh, if you've got a Windows machine, I, I recommend playing the, uh, uh, the Windows app version on any other machine and just play it directly in your browser. And it's very simple rules, um, very easy to pick up. It's sort of a battle royale type game where you and up to... Uh, uh, 60 of your closest friends and enemies may be joining you, plus a number of uh, AI ships will be joining you. So it's just a, a little shoot-em-up, uh, seeing who can be the, the, the final pilot. Well, you gotta, uh, you got to balance the uh, intellectual uh, problem-solving with some hand-eye coordination. Yes, and this, this, this is like a little, okay, I got, I got 8.37 minutes. Uh, I'm going to go grab, play a game of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and literally for last year, this is about the only other game I've been playing because I'm constantly working on it. Uh, it's all uh, a team effort here at, at Clopus. And by the way, I didn't mention that. The, the name of the company 
is Clopas, C-L-O-P-A-S, and it's clopas.net, N-E-T. So you can go there and see what we've been up to. I will put that in the show notes as well so people can just click on it. Um, you know, it's it's interesting as a, as an artist myself, I mostly talk about my influences as a musician, but when I look back on my life and I think about people that have influenced and, and helped me along the way, you're on that list. I mean, the stuff that you've created has has heavily uh, been a part of my world since I was probably uh, nine or 10 years old. And uh, I, I still go back when I can find some time and play the older games. Of course, I got some more to play now. But uh, I just I just want to thank you even just for that and for coming on the show and talking about this. Yeah. And uh, go check this stuff out, people. It's it's amazing stuff. And give your brain a chance to work and develop things instead of just depending on all the things that we depend on these days. One of the strange things that once the Internet started becoming alive, I started getting emails from uh, people who had played the classic games and were fans. And what I found over the years is it seems to have positively affected so many people, including some very notables, and I'm not going to name names or name companies, but there's at least a half dozen very major companies that, if I said the names, you'd recognize them, whose founder and chief executive officer told me they were fans of my games and they changed their lives and they went on to do what they did because of the games. I love that. This is this is God using my efforts to to direct people. It just it just humbles me and boggles my mind. You know, it's it's interesting whenever somebody tells me that um, you know one of my songs kind of helped them through a depression or something like that. The the feeling is it's just untouchable. Yes, because you know that your creative ability was positive for someone else, and that's such a wonderful feeling. Exactly. I think my greatest joy is when I get to watch somebody playing one of my games. Mm. I, ju- I just enjoy it. I like seeing how they approach things, where they're going. And so the trace files are fun. I like reading through those. Uh, but it's even better when I'm actually there watching them play and seeing their expression and listening to what they're saying. Uh, uh, it, it just, it, they're, they're alive. Well, if you've read any of my trace files for Adventureland XL, I'm just going to say right now, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I am sure that they were very good. <laughs> well, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, and I wish you the best with these new games. Uh, I love that you're still using that creative bone that you have and, and making new things for us to enjoy. Thank you very much, my friend. It has been my extreme pleasure to talk with you, Scott, and to talk with everybody who's listening to this show. And once again, um, I I say thank you to God for being able to do this and being able to to uh, reach out and touch people with this technology. Well, God bless you all, and uh, just have a, a, a wonderful uh, 2021. I know 2020 was kind of interesting, but here's to a great 2021 for everyone is a very polite way to put it. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Thank you very much, Scott. Come back and see us again. I certainly will. You take care. Happy adventuring. Like that. Even after all these years, I'm, I'm just blown away by what Scott has accomplished. And um, I, I really have to wonder how differently things would have developed had he not given us the, the gifts that he's given us over the years, especially, you know, looking at where things developed from there. And I, I definitely have to give him some credit for it, it, what he laid down that Infocom 
took the reins and, and ran with uh, as, as computer technology developed. Um, I love that people are still creating these games, but honestly, like these, these games have such a place in my heart, I, I, I couldn't even describe it. But go check them out for yourself. If you have any questions on them, give me, uh, give me a shout at scott at scotthaskin.com. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you, Scott, for, uh, for spending some time with me and, and telling me your story. It's absolutely amazing and for all the gifts you've given. Cheers, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.